What happens when you let your preconceptions about role-playing games fall away? Is there something to be learned from going back to the roots of the hobby? How can we recapture the love we used to feel for our hobby? Welcome back to Roleplay Rescue, the show about rediscovering your lost role-playing hobby. My name is Che Webster, and today I'm going to share my story of discovery. It's time for me to reveal the events that took me from the brink of ceasing play back to the gaming table. Over the last three years or so, I've been faced with a problem. There are fewer players at my gaming table on a Friday night. For a long time, I assumed that was because I was a crap game master and they were voting with their feet. Perhaps that is the truth. But recently, I started to get the sense that the situation was more complicated. The reasons for not turning up were consistent. Work, family, and the pressures of modern life topped the list. But you can add a few other reasons to the list too. After a full week at work, I can't really handle a heavy role-playing session. I need to recharge. The sessions are fine, but I can't commit to a regular game nights. It's probably best that I bow out so I don't disappoint the others. I'm not very good at coming up with ideas for characters. I feel like I'm letting the others down. After a while, I started to think carefully about what I was hearing. But I'll come back to that in a moment. Alongside my Friday night gaming group, I had begun to run role-playing sessions at the school in which I work. These started with Dungeons & Dragons 5th edition, right about the time when it was released. I think we actually started during the tail end of the D&D Next playtest stage, but that's by the by. At school, I got a lot of new players. And I mean total newbies. They had not played a role-playing game before. My games were simple, short dungeons that introduced the core practices of role-playing. I created pre-generated characters, I ran five-room dungeons, and it was light and easy. The players liked it, and many went on to found their own groups. With a one-hour gaming slot once per week, I was having better games than I did with adults in a four-hour slot every fortnight. But I still ran into the same problems with players dropping out after a few sessions. I've got too much homework and we're doing the school play right now. I've got some problems at home and and I better drop out for a while. My friends are doing other stuff, you know, there's geeky stuff. Over a period of three years, I also tried to introduce the guys to other games like GURPS Dungeon Fantasy and my favourite game, Mithras Classic Fantasy. We had some good games, but it was always short-lived. Sound familiar? Something happened that changed the way I think about GMing completely. Well, to be honest, five things happened in short succession that added up to me doing something I had never thought about before. One day in late July on a school sports day, I was asked to run a non-sport game session for the geeky kids who don't like getting sweaty. I was told that both myself and another teacher, who incidentally plays Magic the Gathering, would have up to 30 students for a one-hour session, twice. In other words, 60 students in two one-hour games. The magic guy could handle up to about six players at a time, given the decks he had available. That left me with 24 students per hour. After I stopped panicking, 
I came up with a plan. I wrote a five-room dungeon involving an undead-filled tomb. I picked out the 1981 Dungeons & Dragons basic expert rulebooks, and I decided to print off a stack of old Dungeons & Dragons character sheets. We would roll up characters, dive into the dungeon, and see what happened. I had played a lot of basic D&D back in the 1980s, and I'd rediscovered the 1983 Redbox a couple of years before, but I had never played 1981BX for real. It was wonderful. On the day, the tables were around 8-12 to players, thankfully, but everyone had a good time. On the second game, the magic teacher joined in and had his first game of D&D too. It was fast, really fun, and they finished the dungeon both times, looting the treasure and claiming victory. Several players asked if they could keep their character sheets. It was a stunning success. When the new term started in September, I decided to switch to BXD&D and present The Caverns of Thracia. The first session saw eight new players at the table. By the third session, it rose to 12 players. Now, after the eighth session, group is a steady seven or eight at the table out of about 14 players who come semi-regularly. It is wonderful to play, fast and furious, and the students are loving it. And that's not mentioning the two other groups of players, each around four to five students each, who are running other games, like D&D 5th edition, in the same room. What has changed? Why has my school game become a huge success? Back in July, something happened that changed the way I think about GMing completely. As I said earlier, it was really a combination of five things that happened in short succession that added up to me doing something I had never thought about trying before. The first thing was that I read the blog of the Angry GM and discovered that role-playing was simply the process we discussed in episode two. Quote, one, the DM presents a situation. Two, the players imagine their characters in that situation and decide how the character acts in response. Three, the DM determines the outcome and describes the results, creating a new situation. End quote. Secondly, I read Justin Alexander's blog posts about the open table. I'll put a link to this series in the show notes, but it boils down to a really simple concept. Instead of trying to get players to take part in a very rich, complex and long-term role-playing campaign, Justin suggests going back to the way we played these games back in the early days, when we were 11 to 14 years old. In other words, he suggested running a mega dungeon. On top of that, he suggested just providing the game and making the table open. Open to whoever shows up each week, and not worrying about who will be at the table. To do this, he provides a manifesto of things that you need. Quote, In order to be successful, I believe an open table requires or will greatly benefit from quick character generation, easy access systems, open group formation, default goal, default action, regenerative slash extensible content. End quote. It's a simple formula that I began to explore, and it's the formula that I brought to the table at school. You need a game that can generate characters quickly, in less than 15 minutes really. Pre-gens can work, but the Alexandrian argues, you lose something if a player doesn't make their own character. I now believe that he is completely correct. You therefore need a game that allows fast character creation, and without digital aids. Pencil, paper, dice, 
bam, character. You need a game system that is easy to access. Quote, this does not, it should be noted, necessarily mean a simple system. Rather, an easy access system is one which allows players to start playing quickly. D&D 3rd edition, for example, is not a simple system, but it is an easy access system. Once you explain skill checks, combat actions, attack rolls and damage, a new player has everything they need to know in order to start playing, end quote. This is hard to be precise about, but you do know it when you see it. You need an open group formation. You'll be opening the game up to different players and combination of players each session. Thus, the game needs to provide a form of group that can handle personnel changes. Dungeon crawls, hex crawls, or mission-based games can all work here. You need a default goal and a default action for the players. It's the answer to those two questions that Justin Alexander posed in episode 2. Quote, 1. What do the characters do? 2. How do the players do it? These questions might seem deceptively simple, but the answers are complex, and getting the right answers is absolutely critical to having a successful gaming session. End quote. Dungeon crawls, hex crawls, and mysteries are good game structures for this. We'll explore them in future episodes. Finally, the open table needs regenerative and or extensible content. In other words, you need to be able to reuse the material you have every session or extend it with ease. Low prep solutions. Mega dungeons and hex crawls excel at this. The third big revelation came when I began to read about something called BX Essentials. Gavin Norman's game products take the 1981 basic and expert, hence B slash X or BX, Dungeons and Dragons rules and reorganize them into five little booklets. If you buy them from DriveThruRPG and order the premium heavyweight softcover editions, you get a booklet that is staple bound and good to lay flat on the table. The rules are wonderfully reorganized to make them excellent rules reference at the table. You can look up anything in mere seconds, and you can give the players only the rules that they need. The classes and equipment book, and maybe the book of spells. The other three tomes are just for the dungeon master. Getting these in my hands was a revelation, and talking to Gavin and others on Google+, and, and later on MeWe, I began to think about how easy this game made running a fantasy campaign. It would be great for what Justin Alexander was talking about in making an open table, especially as BX is a game that is super easy to access and in which you can make a character in 5-10 to ten minutes. The fourth revelation was seeing three different blogs recommend Janelle Jacquet's 1979 mega dungeon, The Caverns of Thracia. I read some actual play reports and I got curious enough to throw down the $6 that it cost me to buy the module from DriveThruRPG. I read it, I smiled, chuckled, and wanted to run it. Finally, the fifth revelation hit me. I read the 1974 original Dungeons & Dragons game alongside Playing at the World by John Peterson. Together, the story of the roots of this hobby and exploring the first disastrously confusing role-playing game got me curious. I added to that a read-through of the first 30 issues of the classic 1970s Alarums and Excursions fanzines. What I discovered was the creativity and explosiveness of the original game. It fired my imagination. This role-playing game lark does not require complex plots, detailed characterization, in-depth research and hours of preparation. 
The sessions do not need to be played like a high-end entertainment production, with players in role acting like they were in a soap opera and channeling the spirit of Chuck Norris. It can be played with a small piece of paper, pencil and dice, with a GM who has a cool dungeon that they are excited to run, and with players who want to roll dice and find treasure. It needs the spirit of a ten-year-old kid who wants to have fun with his mates. And so I brought that BX Essentials rule set alongside the Caverns of Thracia. I bought a load of cheap dice to give to all the newbies, so they had some polyhedrals, and I knocked up an advertising poster that showed the 1981 cover image, the old D&D logo, and the words, Mr. Webster's Open Table, along with the room number and time, Tuesdays, 3.30 until 5. Chaos erupted. A wonderful, energetic and exciting chaos. And it's still going. So what? You're not a school kid. You have a job, family commitments, and all your friends are similarly busy. What's this got to do with rescuing your hobby? Three things. One, if you can find one or two hours each month, this is one way you could use those hours to have some role-playing fun. Two, If you can give up the preconceptions about what role-playing is, you can rediscover something that has been long forgotten in our hobby. Three, if you want, you can spend no more than about $10 and get a good game. I am not kidding on that point. You don't have to buy BX Essentials because you can get the art-free PDF files viewable on a tablet or on a laptop for free. Once you've had a game, you'll want the booklets, trust me, but you don't need to lay down $50 for them unless you're really sure. Dice Dungeon Rules, all for less than $10. I'll stick the links in the show notes. Look, this is the truth. I can run 8 to 12 players through a nice session of 3 to 8 encounters in 1.5 hours. We will have 2 to 4 fights, explore the dungeon, interact with creatures and lose some characters each time. The kids can roll up a new character in about 10 minutes and then get back to the table. And you could do that too. Ask a few friends around to play a game. Make it a two-hour slot. Grab a dungeon, open up BX Essentials, get some snacks and drinks to the table, and roll dice for a couple of hours. If you have a good time, schedule another session in the diary. Rinse and repeat. It's totally doable. I'm going to break this down into even more easy-to-do steps in future episodes, but really, the invitation is to try and replicate my experiment. Can you run a one-to-two-hour role-playing session for whomever you can get to the table with a minimum of effort expended? Yes, it turns out you can. Do you remember those other reasons I was hearing from my adult players back at the start? After a full week at work, I can't really handle a heavy role-playing session. I need to recharge. The sessions are fine, but I can't commit to regular game nights. It's probably best that I bow out so I don't disappoint the others. I'm not very good at coming up with ideas for characters. I feel like I'm letting the others down. I've come to believe that these reasons for not playing come back to a common route. We are simply expecting too much of our players at the table. Certainly there are people out there who can handle a deeply drawn, plot-driven and intensely characterised role-playing game. I believe, however, those numbers are dwindling. I need to recharge. I do that by either being alone or being with others in a safe environment. I'm deeply introverted, but I enjoy the company of friends. 
as long as it's not too hard. That deeply drawn, plot-driven and intensely characterised game is too much for me. Dungeon crawling with an old, light set of rules is much more pleasant. I can't get to every session because I have a busy life, but if I can come to an open table where it doesn't matter how many sessions I've missed, well, I can join in as and when. It's much easier to come along on my own terms. And when character creation is roll 3d6 six times, choose a class and equip, yeah, I can handle that. That's five minutes and it doesn't matter if my guy gets toasted 20 minutes later. It's a laugh. One solution might be to create an open table with an older rule set like basic expert D&D. If you try an old style dungeon crawl, you'll find the pressure on everyone is a lot less and the fun factor is much higher than you'd expect. All we need to do as adults is to allow ourselves to stop being adults for an hour or two. Let's get back to being grown-up 14-year-olds who can still get excited about exploring ancient dungeons and whacking dragons with a trusty sword. Game on. Right then, I've told you my story and I've made my plea for a simpler approach to role-playing. What I'm trying to suggest is that there are some routes back to the table and they don't have to be a big deal. There are a few other routes that I'm uncovering too. I tried creating an open table with the Friday Nighters, but they didn't want to play fantasy. I attempted a mission-based science fiction game, but, well, it failed. And yet I'd learned from that. I know how I would do it now, and I do intend on sharing it. The Friday Nighters are currently two players. We've had a session or two playing Savage Worlds, a decidedly new school game, and we had a good time. We're scheduling follow-ups to that as we head towards the new year. It's working, but it's not an open table format. It's more like a simple, easy-to-grasp adventure game for two players. What I'm trying to say is that you need to find an approach that works for you and your players. Roleplay Rescue is all about finding as many routes back to the table as possible and putting them in front of you, the listener, so that you can have a few options to choose from. The goal is to find time and space to play, to get friends back around a table, to give you space to blow off steam. I hope you'll stick with me on the journey as we delve deeper. If you're curious to learn more, please remember to favourite or otherwise bookmark this podcast in whatever podcast app you are using. This series is all about finding a route back to the table, and I've got some interesting suggestions to share with you about your options. Of course, your story is unique and your journey will be filled with challenges. Perhaps together as a community, we can learn to find an acceptance of our hobby. I wanted to take a moment to thank once again all those folk who are dropping me messages of support and sharing their personal experiences. Of particular note have been a pair of emails received from folk who shall remain unnamed but share their struggles with two very different challenges, addiction and depression. Perhaps it is my own naivety, but... Honestly, I had not considered role-playing games to be a good outlet for people who are recovering from the intensity of addiction or depression. Certainly games are only part of the solution for these people. And yet, these emails have opened my eyes to the wider value of role-playing games beyond mere entertainment. 
When I talk about RPGs being a creative endeavour, it turns out that this foundational truth is something that gives hope and positive experiences to people recovering from such conditions as these. Thank you to those anonymous gamers who have shared their personal stories. They are food for thought, and somehow I hope to be able to do justice to the benefits of role-playing in some future episode. Thank you, one and all. Oh, and I did get this message too. Hi, this is Mike Bowers, also known as Restless on the Boards and Forums. Um, occasionally... I think about getting back into role-playing. Um, I've been hanging around the OSR since 2007, but I haven't been playing, and that's because I really want to play an older game. Um, the problem is finding players, pitching it to people. A lot of people only want to play the newest, shiniest. Um, as you mentioned on uh, your segment on the Mega Dungeons podcast, you don't find that with kids, but really I would rather play with adults, and unfortunately... Active role players seem to have found that they like the newer games, and I'm not sure exactly what I should do about that. Um, I'm not flexible. I tried 5e. I did not like it. Any ideas? Thanks. Hey, Mike. Thanks for the message, and you know what? What a great question. Um, I don't think I'm going to have any easy or quick answers here, but I'm going to have a go. First of all, can I just say I get that you don't want a game with kids. I mean, to be honest with you, I did not expect to have the positive experience I'm having with the school kids, but I do think it helps that I'm a teacher and they're used to me and all that stuff. So, yeah, most of us want to play with adults, let's be honest. Um, look, the people around you who might be available for gaming are obviously not interested in what you want to do. That means you have to go further afield, dude. If you're part of the OSR community, then you must know some players. Um, in fact, you know, to be honest with you, um, first thing I'm going to say is this. Look, on a Saturday night... We run, I run, a game of Castles and Crusades on Fantasy Grounds. It's an open table. There's about four or five players right now, and there's a space there. If you want to come and game, look look me up, hook me up, you know, drop me a line in your MeWe or something, and we'll get you on that table. But look, there's a thought. You know, Even if it's not my gaming table, there are plenty of people playing Fantasy Grounds and Roll20 and other such online platforms, and that just might be a great way of connecting to people and finding some people who are interested in gaming. I don't know whether playing online is something that appeals to you, but you know it's a great way back into the hobby. Another thing might be to consider if there's a friend, friendly local gaming store nearby. You know, um, maybe there are people there you could explore and find out whether there's uh, any interest. The open table concept I've been talking about in this episode. Um, you know, check out Justin Alexander's website and see if you can, you know, work that one up. Um, putting out there a table and saying, "Hey, come and play at my table." That just might be a simple solution. You need to find people who are interested in either coming back to the game or who are just interested in those old games too. And quite frankly, just putting out an open call might be the best strategy. All of these little quick off-the-top-of-my-head suggestions aside, I'm, I'm going to be honest, I really want to give this some thought. It's a good question. And you know what? I think I'm going to come back to it in another episode. Mike, it's great that you asked the question. Thank you so much. Um... I hope I've been some help. Thanks, mate. Have a good one. Game on. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Roleplay Rescue. If you ever want to get in touch, ask questions, or share your point of view, you can leave me a voice message. Just download the Anchor mobile app, search for Roleplay Rescue, and tap on the Messages button to leave yours. I'm Che Webster, 
Thanks for listening. I'll be back next week with another episode. Game on.